recognize genius wherever it exists. And if you're known by the company you keep, we are proud to not only spotlight the women that are part of Rockefeller Capital Management's unique network, but also welcome our brilliant audience members. Genius Loves Company is a new series showcasing inspiring insights and perspectives from the women of Rockefeller. Through these conversations, our guests demonstrate how different life experiences, priorities, and values can lead to new and innovative ideas that achieve personal success and growth while delivering value for clients. Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Fleming, the Chief Executive Officer of Rockefeller Capital Management, and it's my honor to help kick off a new podcast series featuring the many talented women at our firm. We call it Genius Loves Company. More on that in a minute. Everyone has a story to tell. We're going to hear those of some of Rockefeller's top private advisors and senior leaders about the life and career experiences that got them here, the insights and perspectives they've gained. We think it will be enlightening, informative, and inspiring for our colleagues, our clients, and all of our friends at Rockefeller Capital Management. With me today are two of our finest leaders, Laura Esposito, who's head of the firm's Enterprise Client Coverage Group, and Kristen Sario, who's Southeast Divisional Director within Rockefeller Global Family Office. Good morning. Hello, Great to good have to you be here. here. Nice to be here. They are both, to be crystal clear, integral members of our executive management team. After today, I'll turn it over to Laura and Kristen to moderate all the sessions that follow. So this is my moment to be part of Genius Loves Company. So now we're going to get into a little bit more detail about the series and what we're doing here. So we need to start with the title, which is a tremendous title. Where did it come from and what does it mean to you? I love it. It's it's not often I'm associated with genius, so I am happy to we're be all happy in to be good with company. So when I think about Genius Loves Company, you can't help but think about the fact that Rockefeller Capital Management, our firm's legacy stems from one of the brightest, some would say genius business minds in American history. And of course, that's John D. Rockefeller. And if you fast forward to today, and Greg, this is something you often say, it really is the people of Rockefeller Capital Management that continue to differentiate us, that really truly set us apart. So as part of this podcast, the real objective is to give a glimpse into the terrific, brilliant, innovative minds of women advisors and women leaders who are trailblazers in our industry and in our organization. I do say constantly, and it is 100% true, that the success that we're having at Rockefeller Capital Management is tied to the quality of the people. And women are an integral part of that group of people that drive Rockefeller Capital Management every day. So Kristen, what does it mean to you? And what do you think it means to others? What are you hoping we're gonna accomplish with this? I couldn't agree more, Laura, with everything that you just said. And you really touched on the genius 
side of the Genius Loves Company, I really think about the company side. And I think about when you listen to a podcast and when you're reaching out to a community and to other people, it is about connectivity. It's about drawing people in. It's about sharing experiences. And when you listen, you can draw your own experiences, maybe learn from others. So the genius side is incredible because we have so much to learn from each other. But I think the company standpoint is even more important because it's that community, it's that connectivity, and it will continue to bring us all together at Rockefeller, women and men. Boy, the two of you really nailed that because it's the quality of the people, women and men, and then it's the connectivity. And we talk all the time about culture and a a place that emphasizes not just excellence, but collaboration, collegiality, and all working together toward common goals. I think these are the central pillars of Rockefeller Capital Management. Before we go further, let's start with background. So Laura, we'll start with you. Let's talk a little bit about your background and what you did before you came here, what you're doing at Rockefeller, or why you love working at Rockefeller Capital Management. I'm going to take you all the way back. And I've got a lot of years now, so I promise it'll be tight. And I tell the story because it's so instructive on how I ended up where I am today. So I grew up the eldest of three children in Waterbury, Connecticut. I was the daughter of two elementary school, middle school teachers born into a large Irish Catholic family of mostly attorneys, teachers, civil servants, and a very tragic but defining moment of my life. Unfortunately, when I was six years old and my siblings were four and two, my father at 39 died of a massive heart attack, entirely undetected. And obviously that was a hideous event in a very formative time of a child's life. But as I look back on it today, it has guided the way I live my life. It has guided my career trajectory. And truthfully, especially as the eldest child, it really instilled in me the strong desire to control my own financial destiny and to provide financial stability. And look, my mother, my extended family, we are all quite privileged in the way that we were able to live our lives. But it was not without financial challenges and hardship. So from a very young age, the ambition seed was just blossomed. Now, I didn't know that it would necessarily take me down a financial services career path. I was a business undergrad, and I had no relationship to Wall Street. And I had this mental barrier about stocks, bonds, that I just didn't know much about it. I had the great fortune of interviewing with a woman who would soon go on to become managing partner of today. It's over a $100 billion asset management firm. And she was probably about 25 years my senior, probably about my age now. And when I interviewed with her, it was a lot of gibberish that I was hearing, but I knew I wanted to be her in 25 to 30 years. 
And so as a woman in the industry, it was so illustrative of I could go down a path in financial services, lean into my strengths and be successful. So that's a little bit of of my background. And getting here today, I spent my first 24 years in this business in asset management. So coming to Rockefeller Capital Management, wealth management organization with an extraordinary asset management business and strategic advisory investment banking business, but at its core, a wealth business was a bit of a departure for me, but I was compelled to pursue the opportunity for a number of different reasons. I thought the leadership was extraordinary, so I've long admired Greg and many of the early members of Greg's leadership team. And I also saw the growth in high net worth and ultra high net worth. And I just saw this amazing entrepreneurial opportunity to just get in at the ground floor of an organization, oh, by the way, that has a brand stemming back over 130 years. I spent my first four years here heading up sales for the asset management business. And today I head up our enterprise client coverage group. Essentially, it's leveraging these firm-wide relationships to really drive more growth in the organization. It's to knit together cohesively all of the phenomenal capabilities for our firm across the three businesses and all of the underlying capabilities in those three businesses to deliver that to clients in a neat, cohesive package. So that's what I'm working on today, and I am thrilled to be here. And there are certain things in there that I uh, there wasn't was a aware lot. of. Sorry, you know, a lot to unpack. A, a couple things I wanted <laughs> to reiterate. One is, um, I think you know this, but my parents were teachers too. I do know that. I had the same ambition, which was I'm going to build on that. And fortunately, my parents are still here today, but I'm going to build on that and drive forward. And I wasn't focused on finance, but I was focused on, like you said, ambition to move forward, which is a great thing and something that's central to our firm and to our country. The other thing that struck me and what you said was role models, which is part of the reason we have this podcast series, because we do have so many talented women across the firm, and we want to make sure everybody sees the role models. And that first interview with that woman at the firm with that's $100 billion in assets, that had an impact on you. And the last thing that everybody should hear on this podcast is that Laura Esposito, <laughs> we offered her a job before we closed. I wanted Laura to come to Rockefeller Capital Management so much And I remember having the dialogue with the lawyers. Well, what happens if the deal doesn't close? I'm like, we'll work that out later. We got Laura Esposito. She's coming. (laughs) So we had Laura come on board between signing and close. A lot of trust went into the boat, the bilateral decision. (laughs) Yes. And it's worked out uh, swimmingly. All right, Kristen, over to you. I always take it back to my roots. And hearing your roots, it makes me think even more deeply about family and where I may have drawn from some of those My parents were not teachers, but one side of my family, all farmers in the Midwest. So I am a Midwesterner, if you will. And so I grew up with one side of my family being up at four in the morning with my great grandfather in his overalls, going out on the tractor, the green tractors, not the red tractors. And we would go out. And I really think that that sense of hard work came from seeing what that was like. And some of my best memories are wearing his John Deere hat 
and being out in the cornfields, playing with my sister and being on the tractor bright and early. And there's nothing I wanted to do more than get up at 4 a.m. and be out there alongside him, seeing what he did every day. And not every day, but all day, every day. There was no nine to five in his world. The other side of my family, so more corporate America, if you will, business individuals, but I think of my grandfather on my dad's side of the family, and he started at a company in the mailroom, and he worked his way to being president of the company. And what I remember most about those stories and those people, unfortunately, what really resonated with me the most was... I read in the local newspaper after my grandfather had passed, I read what a lot of the people that worked for him said about him in his obituary and the comments after that. And it said things like he always knew our names and he knew our family members and everybody was as important as the next. And so I think that connectivity to people and wanting to know people and really relate to people comes from that side of my family and watching him start in a mailroom sorting mail to helping to make strategic decisions for the company is impactful to me. And so I think about those two sides of of my family and how much they relate to who I am today. My career, so I also, to your point, don't know exactly how or why I landed in wealth management, but it came by way of a lot of great people introducing it to me. So I went to undergraduate school for physiology and kinesiology. I was going to build health and wellness programs for Fortune 500 companies. Then I was working with a woman who was a manager in wealth management at a local firm where I was living. And she said, you know, you really have what it takes. Uh, You have a sales acumen and service and you like people. You could really be in this business. And at the time, I, I didn't really know a lot about it. But speaking about role models, she was a great role model. And I saw her doing it. She took time. I went into her office. She told me about what she does. And lo and behold, when I graduated college, I interviewed at multiple wealth management firms thinking I could do it simply because that one woman planted the seed in my head and changed my life forever. From there, I did a lot of different things in wealth management. I had the opportunity to work directly with clients as a wealth advisor. I worked in sales leadership. I ran a branch. And then I worked for seven or eight years as a complex manager leading a big business at my prior firm. About 15 months ago, I had the opportunity to come to Rockefeller. And Greg, you said, you know, what brought you to Rockefeller? And I can say without question, people brought me to Rockefeller. It was the great talent here. It was the ability to come to a firm that's growing and to be able to have impact and influence on not only our firm, but on and with our clients, with the teams that we work with every day. And the more I got to know the people here, not only did I want to be a part of it, but there was a level of fear. And the fear came in thinking, gosh, can I work alongside all of these incredible individuals? And I knew right away that to get to the next level and to really be excellent. I needed to surround myself with excellence. And I felt that at Rockefeller. So lo and behold, I am here leading the Southeast Division for Rockefeller Global Family Office. Very happy to be here. 
Let's spend a second on your family background, which is tremendous, both the 4 a.m., which resonates with me and probably <laughs> with some of our colleagues who hear from me way too early in the morning, but the work ethic embedded in that, mm. your grandfather in the mailroom. I'm always proud to say that my grandfather on my father's side graduated from the second grade and went to work. And on my mother's side, the eighth grade and went to work. So there's so much of that embedded in all so many people at Rockefeller Capital Management. The other thing that struck me about what you said is mentor again, another woman who had a big impact on you early and at the beginning of your career. And the last thing that struck me is the fear. I don't know anybody who's enormously successful, who isn't driven by what could happen if they don't work really hard, whether it's fear of failure or something else. So, you know, a lot of things resonating in your life, which is why, Kristen, you've had such an impact here. And when you have such great connectivity with people, which you don't have everywhere in our industry, it speaks to how quickly we can get up and running and be part of something growing and something that's bigger than us. So let's go to mentors. Now, you had early impact uh, from different women, each of you which is one of the things I'm really gonna take away here, the impact of seeing somebody in the job. Kristen, we'll start with you first this time. So on mentors, as you look back over the course of your career, are there specific individuals that have had an impact on you or advice that you heard that sticks with you? There are so many examples and for that I'm grateful. But the first one that comes to mind, I was a swimmer since before I can remember, but my swim coach in high school, Ray Wilpie, She was really invested in making sure each and every one of us as athletes, as academics, really were a whole person. And she did a great job of making sure we really understood that we were more than just what we were doing in that moment. And I've taken that throughout my entire life and my entire career, making sure that I'm well-rounded in a lot of areas. And so she not only inspired me to do more and be more and set higher limits and try harder. And, you know, she built this incredible competitive fire in me, but she also was able to ground me and make sure that you kind of take a step back every once in a while and just look at the bigger picture. Another person is actually someone that's here at Rockefeller, and that's Michael Outlaw. So long before coming to Rockefeller, I worked with Michael Outlaw, who is our national field leader. And he really helped me to see early in my career, my leadership career specifically, that the people we hire and the people we surround ourselves with is almost more important sometimes than what we do day in and day out. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in a meeting at my prior firm and he said, it's my goal to hire the best and the brightest people who are not only better and smarter than me, but he said, people that I can see myself working for someday. He said, it's my goal to hire people that I will work for. And I remember thinking, gosh, Don't be threatened by hiring people that are better than you and smarter than you and have, you know, broader experiences than you, because all it does is lift everyone else around you. And that was a game changing day in my career because my outlook and who and how I surround myself with with what people and what team I think really has set my trajectory in a different direction. The reality is that I am often asked for career advice and on that top 10 list for years has been higher people that are enormously talented, more talented than you. And I say to people tongue in cheek all the time, a lot of my career success is driven by having hired better people than me 
It's great advice that Michael gave you. And it's fantastic that he got you here. So, Laura, what, what about you? Uh, yes. Mentors and, and advice that you remember, you know, that could have been, you know, a long time ago. I'm going to go back to a, a quick quip about the woman I referenced who entirely changed the trajectory of my life once I got into a professional setting. So who, just by the way, an organization that had been around since 1929, she was the first woman partner named to that organization. So so this is just a kind of plant the the vision of this extraordinary and, and that was in the 21st woman. century where and she was named exactly yeah. exactly okay. but this is just kind of a funny one but i alluded to this earlier i had a little bit of a of a mental hurdle about well i'm not super at math and can i really go into finance i don't know much about wall street the woman who i ultimately ended up working for she had been an english major at a liberal arts college so she kind of quickly it was like, get over yourself, Laura. What you have certain strengths, and namely around communication and connectivity and EQ that will take you so far in this business. But it's not as if this information, this finance on Wall Street is difficult for you to master. And so that was the mental hurdle I just needed to get over. But the funny thing she said to us, and she would probably kill me if she heard me say this, I will never forget myself and another analyst. She took us aside and she was very direct, which I also admired. She said, I implore you to start reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and no one had ever said that to me before. So for any young people out there who think that finance is not a path for them, I too implore you, FT, Wall Street Journal, Economist. And this podcast is all about stories. That's what I love. It's about narratives and stories. And it's really interesting. Other words of, of wisdom that have stuck with me. I have been very blessed. And by the way, I have so many extraordinary men who to this day have been enormous sponsors of mine. But I was also really fortunate, especially 25 years ago, and never mind for the women who came before me, but when women were just much, we're still not fully represented today, but obviously two decades ago, much less represented. And I, for whatever reason, have just found my way, been blessed to work with some extraordinary women. So this one woman took me aside very early on in my career and she said, Laura, there are three things you can control. Three things. You can control your actions, your reaction, and your attitude. And that's it. You cannot control for anything else outside of yourself. And I still employ that every day. <laughs> so it really, I can't worry about controlling for everyone else, but I can, I can control the way that I approach situations and behaviors and my attitude and my tone. So that always resonated with me. I'm writing some down for, for me to take <laughs> forward. I, I thought I'd heard a lot of them. That is a great one. As you all know, you can figure out the terms of the trade and exactly. the, the finance, economics, and, and all of that. The skill sets that that woman said you had, you do have, and which is why you've had such a great career and why you're flourishing here. So she had it 100% right. Okay, so let's go to early memory. One of the great things about Rockefeller Capital Management is that we have this family that's now in their seventh generation, 300 or so individuals alive today. 
built on the legacy, as Laura said, of John D. Rockefeller Sr. So there's a long history, but it has to start somewhere for them and also for you all. So let's go all the way back. Your earliest memory of finance and the finance world and the best financial advice you've ever received. So probably not too surprising that I'm going to go back to my childhood and this very defining moment in my life when my father passed away. And again, he was only 39, but you just don't know what's going to happen in life. He didn't have a will. My parents didn't have a will. It was just something that in your 30s, who would possibly think of? My parents had never focused on that. And it wasn't as if Look, they were teachers. My mother was stay at home at the time, right? So it wasn't as if there was some enormous amount of wealth to be organized and redistributed. But it's still at this hideous time for my mother, who I think was 36 or 37, and it doesn't matter. Fast forward to if you're 86 or 87, to have to just worry about probate and while you're trying to mourn this event that's happened to you, to then not have all of your finances kind of ticked and tied really resonated with me and stayed with me. And that's why I love what we do for clients, because look, people get busy, right? I say this myself. It was a lesson that was just indelible in my memory, watching my mother and my aunts and my uncles have to kind of figure this out at this horrible, sorrowful time of their lives. And even my husband and I, it took some prodding from our financial advisor. And I'm someone who this resonates with. And she really kind of said, Laura, we've got to get, you know, we've got to get wills in place. We have to get everything set up. So that's the beautiful thing about Rockefeller Global Family Office, Rockefeller Capital Management, is that that's our job is to remind people that you have to have just a baseline level of preparedness because you never, you know, life is so fleeting. You never know what's gonna happen. It does feed into what we do every day. And it's one of the reasons I'm proud of the firm. We all are, the three of us, and so many at Rockefeller Capital Management that we're building because we help people who need the help in, in spaces that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. With dialogue and topics that are difficult for them to talk about and we're there for them. Kristen, what about you? So my earliest memories of money, um, a little embarrassing to admit, but I was in the back seat and we were driving through a bank, like drive through. And I remember my parents were sending in a check to get cash back. And I remember thinking at that moment, as I'm, you know, saving money at home and counting all my change and putting it in coin wrappers, I remember thinking, why am I doing all this? Like, I'll just write a check and get cash back. I just had no understanding of how anything worked. And that really inspired me in that moment. And I was in elementary school. This was very young age, but I, I vividly remember that moment where I thought, it can't really be this easy. Clearly, it's not. So that was actually the same time that I got my own bank account. And I really started to want to understand and to learn. And then I also remember a great class as early as, you know, sixth or seventh grade, where they took us through the basics of finance. And that really inspired me to then want to learn about investing. And again, it's just people planting the simplest seeds and you figure out who they grow in and where they grow and when they grow. 
And that was one that grew within me. From there, I think about what somebody told me once. We were talking about money and how much is enough and how do I save it? And I think we were thinking about cars in college. And they said, as long as you remember, it's never how much money you have, but it's the impact you have and what you do with it. And that for the first time in my life and really, you know, inspired me to think about at any level something can be done. And that's something that really resonates with me as it relates to the Rockefellers and the the family and the impact that they've had worldwide. And that really being the base and the foundation, not only that they have set forth for all of us as a firm, as a community, but also what that really means for our clients. And I think we do that as well. We give them a plan, we set the course, but then we think bigger and more broadly as to what does that mean? What impact can that have? How do you plan for it? You know, multi-generational. And so for me, my first memories were a little silly, but what it led me to was really thinking even on the most basic levels about it's not what you have, it's what you do with it. And it really does fit in with the leadership role you have now, working with so many families that are focused on the impact and mm-hmm. on philanthropy. And I have to just pause on the Rockefellers. You opened it up. The generosity and the philanthropy over generations, you know, the Rockefellers starting the Museum of Modern Art, Asia Society, the Lincoln Center, national parks like Acadia, Grand Teton, universities, the University of Chicago, Spelman College, which was named after Laura Spelman Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. That legacy is another reason why we all love working with this name and at Rockefeller Capital Management, because it has had such an impact on the country. And I think we have many clients that do look at that and they want to follow in behind. So let's go to macro, a little bit more macro, and talk about the amount of change in finance and wealth management And I've been around this business now since 1992. It looks very different from 1992. We need to manage this change on behalf of our clients. So what do you all see in terms of the most impactful change that's occurring or is going to occur? And how is this going to impact clients and our business going forward? I'm going to talk about it through an asset management lens because when I got into the business 25 years ago, I was working for a long-only traditional equity and fixed income manager. I heard someone else on a podcast recently saying in the late 90s, in the early aughts, the marquee job was if you were portfolio manager of Fidelity Magellan, for example, right? I mean, that's what I thought of active management, kind of traditional investing. And it's so obvious to say that the biggest evolution when looking through that particular lens has been the shift to alternatives. And when you just look at even the universe of publicly traded companies has just shrunk over the last decade in particular, you have companies that are staying private so much longer. So of course that has implications on investment portfolios, asset allocation strategies. And I think the beautiful thing about Rockefeller Capital Management is that we have just an alternatives platform, investment solutions and capabilities to offer to our clients. Now, of course, we have the foundational elements and many of those are still in more traditional liquid form of forms of investments. And this has been very deliberate and very much by design for our client base of high net worth 
and ultra high net worth clients, we have built out over the last five plus years an extraordinary approach to alternative space broadly. I couldn't even imagine in the late 90s talking about anything other than U.S. large cap value or core taxable fixed income. And you've just seen a momentous shift to where appetite is and thinking about risk return profiles and then just the opportunity set. That has transformed markedly. And I'm proud to say that I think we're at the cutting edge we're innovating on the side, in particular around alternatives and the way that we approach them for clients. I worked with asset management companies as an investment banker in the 90s and, and the first part of the century. And you just nailed it. That is the singular trend in asset management over the last 25 years. And nobody could have conceived of it. No. I mean, the mutual fund companies in the 90s were the, the growth companies. Exactly. Yeah. Kristen, what about you? Before I answer that directly, I sit here and I look at our different perspectives and being two women at the same firm in the same business, but such different perspectives on how we answer. It's interesting to hear your perspective on that, which is spot on. I come at it thinking about the industry a little bit differently in that I think about our means of getting information today versus 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Information is at our fingertips. It is with our clients in a way that it never was before. And so advice has changed. And I would say that AI, not meaning alternatives, but meaning artificial intelligence, has really given us the opportunity, for better or for worse, to now see trends and give advice based on what computers are now telling us. And that's different. So you have information inflow coming at all of us very quickly. You have machine learning and advice being given to us in a different way. And it's overwhelming. And so what has changed the most in my eyes with the people most directly that I work with at Rockefeller is the need for advice, but then you add the amount of information that's coming our way in a number of different ways, and that only complicates it more. So, you know, I spend most of my time working most directly with clients and our great private advisor teams, and they have a really tough job today. And I don't think families can live without them because you need somebody to sort out the complexity. And you would think that you need less of it in a world where we have more. And I would argue it's quite the opposite. We need them more because it's gotten so much more complex. People ask me about the impact of AI on Rockefeller Capital Management. And I say exactly what you just said, Kristen, because without the advice synthesizing it, even if you're in the business and the three of us are in the business, we understand the concepts and we've been around it a long time, you still need help parsing it and making judgments and decisions. That's why I am as upbeat as I am on the firm that we're building, because we're going to be providing this advice through these private advisors. And it doesn't matter what happens in artificial intelligence. The amount of information is just going to make the advice that much more valuable. So let's go to talent, which is one of my favorite topics and the thing of which I'm most proud. So you are two of our top leaders and you're walking around constantly. When you're in the hallway in the morning and you get to work, which of the characteristics of these incredibly talented people that we've attracted, what excites you when you walk around and you see these people? What advice do you give them, whatever their age, but maybe some of the people earlier in their careers, when you bump into them in the hallway? 
Absolutely. This is one of the topics that makes me tick the most. It makes me most excited. And what I would share in terms of advice is, you know, step curiously and seize opportunities that make you two things, you know, equal parts, nervous and excited. I always say if you step into an opportunity that you're really comfortable with, you're already past that opportunity. So really step into things that make you nervous and excited. And I think that will give people the opportunity to reach their potential, at least, you know, land on excellence if they do that, which you often say. So that was that's a great example and great advice that you're giving them. Uh, Laura, what about you? Yes, I would echo so many of the things that Kristen said. And along the same lines, I heard something recently. There's an NYU professor who's a psychologist. We've spoken about him recently. And I loved the way he talked about careers. Careers are very long. And he said he sees them in two segments. The first part of your career should be exploratory. You say yes to everything to networking, to projects, to opportunities, to things even outside of your industry. You just, you remain open and you say yes. And that's kind of the first part of your career. Now, of course, you can't, you need at some stage to really dig into a certain topic, a certain area. So the second part of your career he framed as the exploitative part of your career, which is once you've gone through the exploratory phase, you pick one thing, some things, and you really hone in and become expert, and that's the professional pursuit. So you have to start saying no, and saying no becomes that much more critical as you advance in your career because you really have to prioritize. So the concept of treating the first part of your career is you are a sponge, you explore everything, and then you go really deep in the exploitative part of your career. And in fact, as you move on, the people ask me about things that I do that help create success. The focus is so key. Exactly. But early on, the exploratory, and it's advice I'm giving, you know, I have three children that are Generation Z or millennials. So last question, it's a personal question that, that gets asked a lot. It's an interesting one. And Kristen, we'll come back to you for this one, which is Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. What are you doing? What are your priorities at that point in the week? I love Saturday mornings. <laughs> so Saturday mornings are my long training days. So I swim, bike, run. So new in the triathlon world. And so Saturdays are my days to get up as early as I usually do, you know, four in the morning, but I can get two or three of those in. And by 10 o'clock, I want to be on the couch with my kids drinking coffee. What an incredible (laughs) life that she's living. The impact you're having here, you know, I'm wondering, you're going to, you've motivated me to do more this Saturday morning than I might typically do. And I'm not, you know. Well, remember I said couch, kids, coffee, 10 o'clock. Yeah, but it's after, you know. a deadline. You know. (laughs) A deadline. Swim, run, bike, and then couch. That's uh, that's a fantastic answer and a great rhythm. And I'll bet the kids look forward to that time with you after how intensely you work during the week. You know, they do. We love our Saturday mornings. 
But the best part of my Saturday mornings has actually been my daughters who right now are 15 and 18. I also have a son who's 10, but my 15 and 18 year old daughters are now training with me. So my daughter just did a triathlon relay with me this last weekend. So I hope that some of these things that I'm doing, getting up early, training is instilling some of that in them, but there is nothing more rewarding to me than having my daughters alongside me on that swim bike run. That's fantastic. Do not mess with the Sario family. (laughs) Do not. Uh, The Sario family women in particular. Um, Okay, Laura, what what, what about you? 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Get my You'll alarm doesn't go off. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, so a typical Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, where am I? It's time that I spend with my family and I cherish it very much. So truthfully, it also involves working out. Um, I'm an abysmal failure, though, because it's not swimming, biking, and running. It's a 45-minute soul cycle class that I do religiously with my husband, because it's something we can do together. (laughs) So we have to find ways in which, especially when we're reconnecting on the weekends, to be together, to spend um, substantive time together. Although I'm not sure if music blasting in your ears (laughs) is necessarily substantive time. But so we will generally go to an 8.30 soul cycle class. And so I suppose by 10, I have my venti Starbucks in hand and we're about to enjoy the rest of the day. But it's been something that my husband and I talk about, that, that working out together and kind of maintaining more of a shared schedule on the weekends is really important for us because he has a big job. I have an intense career. And so during the week, it's hard to find time to connect. And oh, by the way, I'm not burning as many calories as Kristen, but it is a good way to just stay heart healthy and get my cardio in. And we're also massive music fans. My husband's in the music industry. So it's a great way to go and, and hear 45 minutes of a, a phenomenal playlist. Soul cycle for 45 <laughs> minutes on Saturday morning is no, no slouch. It's not like, you know, you said you... We'll scares we'll me see. on a lot of levels. So. <laughs> and there are... We I, have I, rhythm. We have rhythm. That's I have that going for I me. I often do that with my wife. It is something that's wonderful to do, to do with together. your spouse. And a lot of times, particularly if I go to a class in New York on a I'm a drop in, I'm the like bottom tier in the class. There are women and men all over the place, like you know, uh, crushing it. So oh, we, uh, we ride up. I'm Greg. sure you yeah. probably don't even know what that means, but we we. No, I do know what podium. that means. Oh, on the po- I've oh, done no. it. I have uh, done it. My husband does it more than me. We're quite wow. competitive. Yeah, that's yes. Fantastic. Would you believe it? That, that, he gets singled out and gets to. Right up. No, nobody's ever. If they're singling me out, it's like we need to go faster. And I'm in shape, but it's like uh, you know, people are serious in soul level. cycle. It's another yes, level. These are great answers. I'm not, you know, don't mess with these two women on Saturday morning. Uh, you've helped motivate me. Well, listen, that was fantastic. Having the two of you play the roles that you do here at Rockefeller Capital Management being such an integral part of the leadership team and setting the example for everybody. So great to have you here today. Many thanks and all the best. Thank you for listening to Genius Loves Company. To learn more about Rockefeller Capital Management, visit rockco.com or keep up with us on LinkedIn or Instagram. This material was prepared by Rockefeller Capital Management. The views expressed of the hosts and guests in this episode are as of a particular point in time and are subject to change without notice. The views expressed by the speakers are solely their own and may differ from or conflict with those of other divisions in Rockefeller Capital Management. This information was provided for illustrative and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation, investment advice, and offer of Rockefeller 
seller investment advisory or brokerage services or a projection or illustration of the performance of any particular investment or strategy offered by Rockefeller. Forward-looking statements, including those presented herein, are inherently uncertain, as future events may differ materially from those reflected, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance.